It's time for class. Civics just doesn't begin and end on election day. This is Sunday Civics, the home for the civically engaged with political strategist L. Joy Williams on Sirius XM's Urban View. Welcome to Sunday Civics, the home for the civically engaged. I am your host and civics teacher, L. Joy Williams, and I'm so happy that you made it to class this morning. Earlier this week, I had the pleasure of co-hosting a conversation for Higher Heights with two dynamic Black women who are vying to be the next Congresswoman for Ohio's 11th District, which was made vacant when Marsha Fudge became HUD Secretary. Now, as you will hear in both interviews, former State Senator Nina Turner and Chairwoman and Council Member Chantel Brown are extremely passionate about serving the people of Ohio, and there is no doubt that either of them would be a welcome addition to the Congress. The special election is less than two weeks away and early voting has already begun. Listen to these conversations beginning first with Nina Turner. In 2008, Nina Turner was the first woman to serve as a state center in Ohio's 25th district. And Nina went on to serve as the chair of party engagement for the Ohio Democratic Party, leading the effort to build a more robust and inclusive organizing infrastructure and support for local Democratic candidates across the state. Nina, I want to dive into this discussion with you. But first, how you doing, girl? Hi, El Joy, and hello, Glenda Carr. I was with Higher Heights from the beginning, so I'm really proud to be able to say that. And I remember when Glenda, you know, and Kemp, they were preaching the gospel of that shoe, the pair of shoes you want to buy, make a donation to Higher Heights. <laughs> yes, yeah, old, old school, old school, old school, if you will. Yes. But I want to, I, I want to dive into you. Let's start from there. So, you know, we and those of some, maybe some people in who know you, right, and our friends and know you for some time. But you know, let's speak to the people who may not. Who is Nina, and why did she decide to run right now for this seat? I'm really a fierce advocate for the people. I am a wife, a mother, and believe it or not, I am a brand new yaya, a new, a new grandmother. Glenda, I didn't get a chance to share that with you. Or, or Ms. Do, and it has def definitely changed my life. You know, there's a, there are levels of love I didn't even know that I had, and it's just a beautiful blessing. You know, I'm a daughter of Cleveland, born and raised in this community, working class parents. You know, uh, my mother was my custodial parent. You know, most of my life died way too young. Many people who know me know the story. She died at the young age of 42 years old. So I know for some of the younger people that might seem old, but that's really young to die and, and really die with her dreams deferred. And so every day I fight for people just like her, whether men or women or women or men, but it's just really my mama's spirit that I carry with me. And I've been blessed to be able to serve in this community. I was a Cleveland City Councilwoman. I, I worked for the mayor of the city of Cleveland, the second longest serving mayor of the city of Cleveland, also the second African-American uh, mayor of this city as well. I went to the state level. I worked for the Cleveland School District, was a professor, assistant professor at Cuyahoga Community College where futures began. So I just feel like I have been in service to this community in many, many ways. I was a Democratic nominee for Secretary of State in 2014. And so when I heard uh, El Joy, heard you and Glenda, you know, talk about there are no black women in the U.S. Senate right now, no black women 
governors, you know, it's very hard for black women to even run statewide in their own states. And I did that in 2016 because we have one of the worst secretaries of states in the United States of America. And it was important that he did not, that, that somebody was going to bump up against him and at least challenge him, even though 2014 was a very hard year for Democrats. And so this country has a long way to go to make sure that black women are in those spaces and places, especially on the executive levels. Uh, it's one thing to applaud us for our voting prowess. It's another thing to make sure that you respect that prowess and elect us to those types of offices. And then in 2016, I was a national surrogate for Senator Bernie Sanders. I was a, a delegate for President Obama, not once, but twice, and traveling the state, helping him to get elected, especially in 2012 when it was really hard. And I'm a current member of the DNC, uh, my second term to the DNC. And I was a national co-chair for Senator Bernie Sanders in 2020. So that's a long story, less long. Yeah, and like I said earlier, Nina, that you know the Ohio congressional district number eleven is literally a legacy of Black women, from you know Stephanie Tubbs Jones to Marsha Fudge, and like like I've already claimed it, there will be a Black woman, you know, that will represent this district. That it is Ohio knows what we've already changed the face of what leadership looks like in the 11th district. But as you are aware, there are still challenges that exist for black women when they run for office. So can you share a little bit about kind of this campaign and some of the challenges that you face, have faced? Yeah, especially when Higher Heights was first born. I mean, that was some a, ch a challenge that you all, or we, you know, at the time, because I was one of the founding donors, was really taken up. And I think it is important that Higher Heights continues to do this great work and be unapologetically focused on Black women and, and how we get elected, both our electoral prowess and how we get elected. But yeah, it is usually harder for Black women to raise the same amount of money. And certainly my journey through uh, running for office. And when I ran for Secretary of State, I mean, my God, it was like pulling teeth. I've grown so much uh, since that time and had many other opportunities to compliment. And so right now I am raising money very strongly and I want to take all that I've learned and the tools that I have at my disposal to both help other Black women, but also help progressive candidates win elections. Um, my campaign has raised $4.8 million in this race. Right now this race is being, uh, is being said that this is one of the uh, more uh, pricier uh, special primaries in the country uh, right now. And a lot of that has to do with dirty money flooding in, which is very unfortunate. But I am very, very, um, you know, proud of the money. I'm raising money $27 at a time, the average donation. And I, I've raised money from every single state in the nation. And that's hard. That's not typical for a Black woman. But I'm changing the game. And, and, it's, and I'm changing the game, not just for myself, but for also for others. And so every state, the District of Columbia, which is a beautiful thing, but Eljoy and Glenda, that was not the case for me in 2014. It certainly was not the case for me when I first ran for council. And it was not the case for me when I ran for Secretary of State. But it's still, I, I, I am an anomaly at this moment. And I don't want that to be the case. It is still incredibly hard for Black women to raise money and we must change that. And that's why the notion of each one reach one, each one help one and just spending our money and making those investments in, into the candidate, candidates that we support is so vitally important. And then can you just share a little bit about, cause I, we always do the barriers, any unexpected like wins and supports in this particular election, this race? Yeah, I mean, I have the support of the largest uh, caucus in the US House of Representatives right now. That's the Congressional Progressive Caucus, which I'm proud, almost 100 members strong, which was a beautiful 
thing. And, and a lot of that came because I, I was doing the work over the course of the last uh, six years, you know, carrying my district uh, with me, but really being able to travel this country on you know, two presidential elections, leading a national organization and all of those things help. So, you know, when you're, when you're doing the work and you're planting the seeds, it, this, this is that moment where I believe I'm, I'm reaping, you know, planting and cultivating of those seeds all over the country, which is a beautiful thing. Um, you know, to be able to have, you know, Congresswoman Fudge, now Secretary Fudge, be able to lead HUD is a beautiful thing for our district and also the nation. And I look forward, if I'm uh, the one to win this office, to, to be able to work with her to even bring more uh, to our district. I think some of the surprises is the level of dirty money that came, that has come. And this one group in particular really targets progressives and also progressives of color. They did the same thing to Jamal Bowman, uh, Congresswoman uh, Ilhan Omar, and that kind of thing. Just, just the not not so much that people want to support because people have a right to support who they want, but the level of dirty money that is in politics. And so we really do have to do something about campaign finance reform. And I tried to mirror through most of my donations uh, to make sure that people know the grassroots power does exist. I would say another surprise is just really the outpouring of the grass on the positive side, because I want to say that there are positive things happening for me in this race, is really the outpouring of just grassroots people all over this country. 85% of the donations that I've gotten from Ohio, though, has come from the district, and that was a surprise uh, for me. We've raised money in every zip code, and then expanding that, because it takes teamwork to make the dream work, that I have received donations from all over this country, $27 at, at a time, and including the District of Columbia. So really proud of that. We'll be back with more of Sunday Civics. All the wahala, all the problems, all the things that you think that you must do to start in this world. Like when the teacher, schoolboy and schoolgirl come together. Who is the teacher? I go let you know. Welcome back to Sunday Civics. We turn back to our conversation with former Ohio State Senator Nina Turner, who is a candidate for the special election for Ohio's 11th Congressional District. So, Nina, I want to also talk about sort of what issues you are putting at the forefront of your campaign, because our research and conversation with black men, black women find that we want elected leaders that have a vision and a strategy to build economically thriving and educated, healthy communities, um, safe communities, obviously. And so can you share your top issue priorities and what your approach is to achieving those if elected? Definitely, L. Joy, so much. You know, when people talk about, see, this pandemic wasn't the first crisis. We had crises before the pandemic, and we still got crises now. So it's not just about, you know, leading in one narrow point of time. You know, uh, the Great Recession was a crisis. Black people lost 50% of their wealth during that Great Recession that has not been restored. Systemic problems require systemic solutions. We're looking at COVID, you know, certainly where we are hospitalized at higher rates. Uh, we die, we're dying at higher rates. The impact on the negative to the African-American community, we continue to be the canary in the coal mine for all things that are negative. For me, you know, it is about centering the poor, the working poor, the barely middle class and helping to push the body politic in this country towards that and doing that in a way, certainly, yes, to build coalition, 
but working with is not necessarily acquiescing to at all. And being a partner does not mean being a puppet. So for me, it is increasing the minimum wage to $15 an hour, 30 million people would get a raise from that. And I know that there are people, thank God, who make more than that in this country. But as we raise the people at the bottom, we know that people who are a little, little higher will be blessed as well. Medicare for all, Black people still suffer disproportionately on the medical side. And if we have a Medicare for all, system, no co-pays, no premiums, no deductibles, not only will that disproportionately to the positive help the African-American community, but it will help everybody by extension. And we want to make sure everybody's in that system so that nobody can be discriminated against. It certainly will not eradicate, uh, you know, racial biases and anti-Blackness, but it will get us a step further. Black women dying at higher rates during, you know, uh, maternal death rates, black babies dying at higher rates. And so we need a system that answers to that, making sure that mental health is a part of that as well. And, you know, making sure that we unionize. I mean, it's important that the PRO Act pass, passes, and I hope that it passes before I get to Congress. The voting, John Lewis Voting Rights Act. I know higher heights and black women have been such a pivotal force in making sure that black women are out there and and they are voting, but we need the For the People Act to pass. We need the John Lewis Voting Rights Act to pass. As somebody who has served in the legislature to see what Republicans are doing all across this country in legislatures, because they got the cheek to win, because they knew that the new American majority is that of color and that of consciousness. And so they tried to cheat uh, in order for them to win and we must reject that. So as much as we look at who's going to Congress and that is vitally important and who's in the White House, that is vitally important. We cannot turn our back on legislat legislatures all across this country because we are losing so much ground. 400 uh, bills percolating in 47 states and unfortunately Ohio is one of those states. And so we must push back on that kind of anti-democracy. The threat on democracy is trying to stop people from exercising their right to vote. And it has a disproportionate impact on communities of color and also poor people. Yeah, and then Senator, you used to say on the stump that you know our hair is on fire, right? Yes. <laughs> so we are certainly battling you know, multiple attacks, multiple pandemics, multiple crises. You know, So you will be taking, if elected, taking office you know, during an unprecedented time, right? We're recover trying to recover from COVID-19, rebuilding our economy, uniting one of the most politically toxic and racially divisive nation in our generation, uh, and certainly trying to address racial um, inequality across all issues um, in an intersectional way from criminal justice and education to policing. Um, so what are some of the opportunities that you think exist to push innovation in the way you will you know, step into your, your first term in Congress? And then what do you think some of the biggest challenges and threats that exist? Oh, the division in this country, especially, you know, when we saw what happened on January 6th and many of us are saying, wow, this happened on our watch in real time in our lives during our lifetime. We know that the, 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 that we really do need to deal with racism and bigotry in all of its forms, whether it's anti-Semitism, anti-Blackness, Islamophobia, you know, phobias against our gay, lesbian, transgendered, uh, Q plus family and friends, sisters and brothers. We have to deal with all of those isms and the country must come to grips with those, those things. You know, we gotta be able to talk about the good, the bad and the ugly and not be afraid. And, and, and this pushback in this country to, to have a revisionist history about the truth. It is okay to tell the truth and then say that we want to do better because what is the reality today does not have to be the reality tomorrow. So we got to deal with caste and class 
together and we must be willing to tell the truth about the inequities in the system that it, this is systemic so systemic problems require systemic solutions again we have to do that and the federal government has the biggest cachet to be able to to really turn things around in the 11th congressional district by way of example cleveland is the poorest city of its size in the united states of america and in greater akron you know akron area 23 percent of people live in poverty now we have some prosperity here too but we have to measure our possibilities and our promise and where we go from here. Remember Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. asked that question, where we go from here, based on how we are lifting and changing the material conditions of those who have the least in this country. So increasing the minimum wage, Medicare for all, canceling student debt. Can I just throw that out there, Higher Heights family? That is both a class and a caste issue. You're talking about a racial justice issue because black women hold the largest amount of student debt in the country. The president can sign an executive order today and get rid of that, that student debt. So that is one thing that will have a direct, immediate impact on black women that can be done right now in real time. So the opportunities are boundless. We just have to have the political will to make these things happen, deal with state violence, also deal with the gun violence that is happening in black and brown communities disproportionately, babies being shot, people not being able to walk down the street. We must deal with those things as a community, but also deal with those things as a nation and provide the resources. You must have vision to provide provision for the people. And I'm looking forward to being able to work uh, to make those things happen. I wanted to ask, what are your personal sustainability or as Glenda talks about your self-care, right? During this period, what brings you joy? And I know you mentioned you're a new Yaya, so, you know, maybe it's that, um, but talk to us about how you are infusing joy in this process as well. Well, oh, Joy, that question coming from you, giving your name is a beautiful thing. And yes, Glenda talks about that all the time. One of the disciples of self-care. And I would encourage Black women to do more of that because we've been socialized that we should go second. We got to go first as we learn on the plane, put the mask on yourself, uh, the oxygen mask on yourself before you can do it for others. You know, for me, it is definitely prayer. I'm a church girl. My mother was a minister. So my siblings and I had to go to church eight days a week. And it is the real, not, not, not religion for the sake of bludgeoning people, but that whole spirituality. I meditate. I love to hula hoop with a weighted hula hoop. Hello, somebody. Definitely my, my grandson. And, and I have a new granddaughter now that was born on May. Uh, 25th, uh, my son, you know, though family just really grounds me and it, it reminds me that there is so much more to do because I want both my son and my new grandchildren to inherit. I want them to know that they're, that my, you know, uh, being a mother and being a grandmother that I am working to help make this world a better place, not just for them, but for other people's children and other people's grandchildren. So I love the hula hoop. I love the box. I envision many people on that boxing bag. Let me say that. Hello, somebody. And I think it is important that we do the spiritual thing as well as the physical thing. I love uh, to, to meditate. And this really has gotten, you know, rough here. It's really hard because I think, you know, we talk a lot about racism, but colorism is a real thing in this country as well. And I see a lot of that happening in this race right now, going back to some question, you know, the question I believe that Glenda asked earlier, what are some of the surprises and what are the things that we, you know, that, that I found myself facing over uh, campaigns, but especially in this one, I am really shocked by that. But meditation, reading scripture, spending time with my grandchildren and uh, making sure that I get some physical activity in is so vitally important to making sure that we are whole. We got to keep ourselves whole. So we have a couple of questions, Joy. Oh, rapid, rapid fire. Okay. Um, oh, we got, oh, 
where I'm like, oh, they're dropping in real quick. Where did she go when she was in Congress before? Was it? But so she wasn't a little story. She wasn't such. So, so tell you a little quick story again for a recap. Of yeah, no, was was not in Congress, but I served on the in the state senate, so that might be what they were referring to. And then I had the opportunity to be the chair of party engagement for the Ohio Democratic Party. So as soon as I left the Senate office, I went to ODP, Ohio Democratic Party, and served side by side with uh, former chairman David Pepper. And I was the chair of party engagement. And um, from there, I uh, worked on, I I continued to teach at, at Cuyahoga Community College, the largest community college in Ohio. And then I was a national surrogate for Senator Bernie Sanders in uh, 2016 and 2017, I helped to lead a national organization. And in you know 2019, 2020, when the senator said he was running again, he asked me to be uh, one of the national co-chairs of his campaign, and I did just that. So always, you know, li- lived in lived in Ohio, uh, was serving nationally, if you will, and had a chance to touch down on every single state uh, in our great country, with the exception of two, two, yeah. Even Hawaii and Alaska, I I went to. So it's been a labor of love. And I just want to bring all of that to bear. Every lesson that I've learned from what God has blessed me in the territory that I've had um, to be able to serve the constituents of this district, to be able to serve my state, and to be able to continue to serve this nation. So I'm asking people to give me their support. And they can go to ninaturner.com if they want to volunteer. Okay. Or donate. <laughs> <laughs> I am, I'm going to squeeze this question in um, really quick to, to ask both of you and then our candidate that'll come next. You know, you're going to be part of a body, right, in which you have to work with other folks to introduce legislation, pass legislation. What skill set do you bring to that leadership? right? The ability to work with others who may not agree with you, who may um, have other interests and other um, issues before them. Being in the Senate, Republicans have a super majority. So I am tested in that. I was actually the whip uh, for my caucus. And also, you know, one of the greatest things that I've done, you know, if people ask me name, you know, your top three, one of them would be my work with Governor John Kasich, a Republican, and I am a Democrat. And there was a series of of shootings at the hands of police across the state. And I went to the governor as a black mother and said, governor, we have to do something. Long story less long, the governor signed an executive order and, you know, at my request and, and, and he made me the co-chair. We traveled the state dealing with community and police relations and being able to bring standards to the state for the first time that happened in the latter part of 2014 going into 2015. So I, if I can work with governor John Kasich, surely I can work with uh, Democrats and Republicans across the spectrum, whether they're progressive, conservative or moderate. My only ask is that as we sit across the table and I'm willing to do that with anybody that is on a justice journey, the key is can we fight for justice together and do a new thing and help to change the material conditions of so many people in this country, in this district and in this country who are suffering. But yeah, I've done it. Now that I am going to do it, I've done it. Well, Glenda, I want to toss to you and to say thank you to Senator Nina Turner for spending some time with us to answer some of the questions. But I want to uh, thank you for taking an opportunity, Glenda. Yes, thank you so much, Nina Turner, for joining us. We'll be back with more of Sunday Civics. How can it be? Stay
Welcome back with us on Sunday Civics. We just finished a great conversation with former Ohio State Senator Nina Turner, and we turn now to one of the other candidates in that same race, because (laughs) there are many, but we turn to this conversation with another candidate, Chantel Brown. Chantel is a native of Cleveland and began, began her service at the Warrensville Heights City Council, where she was elected in 2012. She went on to be elected to the Cuyahoga County Council, where she's literally just finishing up her day doing her elected service and joining us direct from straight from that meeting where she currently serves on the County Council. She stands with everyday people. Chantel stands for affordable quality health care jobs that pay fair wages and a strong public education and equality and justice for all. So we are so excited for Chantel to join us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you making the accommodation too. As you mentioned, county council meeting ran long today. So I am coming straight from another position. So Chantel, who are you and why did you decide? You're like, who's your story? And how (laughs) did you decide that this was the right time to run for the United States House of Representatives? So I um, I don't know how much time I have. So how much time do I have for each question? Well, you, we've got 20 minutes in total. So it's conversational. Okay, so, so we'll, okay, we'll, we'll start slow and you'll be all like, you know, you're cutting into your time. We'll tell you. Okay. <laughs> all right. So I, um, I always like to start with how I got into this crazy world of politics, which is um, in 2011, I wanted to help my neighbors, much like we were experiencing with the condo collapse. The news cycle was repetitive. And at that time, it was the earthquake tragedy that struck in Japan. And the question occurred to me, where would we go in the event of an emergency? And being the youngest homeowner on my street, surrounded by seniors and retirees who treated me like their very own, I thought the best place to get that answer would be my city council meeting. And I was right. So I went there. I learned um, what the evacuation plan was. But something says, Chantel, keep going so you can learn about what's happening in your neighborhood. And as I attended the meetings, like many of our communities, I noticed there was some room for improvement. So rather than complain, I am a person that believes and being the change that you want to see. So I rolled up my sleeves, pounded the pavement, introduced myself to my neighbors, and let them know that I wanted to be their next city council representative. And while doing that, the administration took notice and they said, if you need some help out there, let us know. Well, I did, because as you might imagine, when you're knocking on doors, people are not shy about pointing out the issues that need to be addressed. So there were things like tree branches that needed to be trimmed, sewers that needed to be cleaned, potholes that needed to be filled. And I was able to get that stuff done and I wasn't even elected. So I'm feeling pretty good about myself, ladies. So fast forward. Election day comes, the polls close, and I was down by six votes. Not down, but not out, disappointed, but not devastated. Besides, I'm getting the work done, and I trust God's infinite wisdom. So in my mind, I'm thinking, this must not be for me. But little did I know, there were 23 provisional ballots in my race, and 11 days later, I learned that I had won that race by seven votes. Now, seven for a child of faith represents perfection, completion, and God. So I always credit this journey that I'm doing for public service to his divine intervention, grace, mercy, and favor. And that has truly been the moral compass, the guiding force, and the foundation in this work that I do. So I've never lost sight of that. I've always been in it for the people. 2014, I described it as a promotion. I went from representing 1,500 people 
to 110,000 plus. Now, that's the position that I currently hold and I represent some of the most impoverished to some of the most affluent. My district goes from the inner city to the outer ring suburbs. So when you're talking about somebody who is ready to represent some of the most diverse people on day one, I've been doing the work. As a county council representative, I'm proud to say I led the legislation to declare racism as a public health crisis. And it wasn't a result of the tragic killing of George Floyd, nor the pandemic. That work for me began in 2016 as I was focused on the infant mortality crisis. Why is it that we have third world infant mortality rates and black women are three to five times more likely than our Caucasian counterparts to have issues during pregnancy or, or, their or during their maternal carrying of the baby, right? Our babies are unable to live beyond their first birthday, three to five, five times more likely again than our Caucasian counterparts. Third world infant mortality rates with first class hospitals. The research proves it was racism, institutional structural racism. So that work again began in 2017, but it didn't come to pass until 2020. As you can imagine, it's a lot of work. It was a, um, an advisory board that met quarterly. So when the concept was introduced to me, which was actually October, 2019, that's when we started talking about racism as a public health crisis in Cuyahoga County. Meeting quarterly, January is when I introduced it to my staff. And so, that was right before the pandemic struck. Our next meeting would have been in March. We started to craft the legislation so that it would be more than just a symbolic gesture, but something that really had meat to it so we could start taking steps towards eradicating racism. It included a community component and also statistical data in the areas of transportation, education, criminal justice reform, safe places to work, eat and play, all of those things so that we could be assured we could get the support of services and most importantly, the funding to reverse those issues. So why Congress? Why now? So I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so I've been doing. Oh, she moderated her own. Uh, like, oh, Chantel, you're not even letting us ask no questions. You just decide you're going to moderate your own 22 minutes. What? I, I thought we was going to. Why Congress right now? I've been doing great work on the local level and I wanna make sure that I can continue to help those who have been hit hardest by the pandemic. So that's the simple answer. <laughs> Glenda, she decided that she, she did not like, need anybody. Mm -mm. She said, I don't need nobody ask me questions. I could ask, answer, and go on about that. Okay, Chantel, but we do have questions. Okay. Um, okay. So moving on there. So you've been on the campaign trail for some time at this point. And, you know, similar, we want to ask similar questions going through this process. What have been some of the challenges and barriers that you have faced thus far because we like that to to get that information as more black women run across the country but you know we also want to hear some unexpected support or wins you've also encountered on the campaign oh my goodness so some of the unexpected support i i was in i we have recently opened up myers in um in one of our in one of our more Caucasian communities. And I just wanted to kind of go check out the store. And this young guy approached me out of nowhere. He's like, Chantel Brown? And I'm like, yeah. He said, I want you to win. It was really, it was really, and I see someone said it's hard to hear. So I hope this is better. But that, that type of support, when I'm just walking down the street and people recognize me from the commercials and they give me the thumbs up or when we're driving on the freeway and someone is blowing their horn or trying to flag us down and ask for a yard sign. And, and, and again, it's not, 
it's not people that I would typically expect. They don't gen sometimes don't look like us. And I'm just humbled by that. The challenges though are from when those same individuals kind of, you know, remind us of the racism that exists, um, you know, and, and I've had to deal with that my entire life as a black woman. And so politics is no different. When I made history in 2017, I became the first black woman and the, well, the first black person, but the first woman in general and the first black person, male or female to lead the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party. It's the largest county party of the 88 in our state. We are not the most populous, but we deliver the most votes from the precinct to the presidency. But I've had people within the party um, where I've demonstrated myself as a person who has been open and transparent and accountable um, you know, really show me sides of them that I didn't expect. And this is a volunteer position, ladies. Let me be clear. I don't get paid to do that work. It is hard work. It is um, it is time consuming um, and it is very demanding. And I do it as a labor of love in all sincerity because I know that it helps empower people and help them understand to understand their political capital. So things like that um, and COVID as it relates to the campaign has made it hard now that they're rolling back the restrictions. I'm meeting more people where they are. And that has been a lot of fun. Again, um, going into places and getting that unexpected support has been very humbling and encouraging at the same time. And you also, you, you hit on something in your response to Eljoy about, you know, the, that you have a diverse, you're, you're currently representing a diverse district and that, you know, we are looking at a, a democracy that is to welcome the diverse experiences of those that live in our country. And so the, we have a question for you that says, have you share a little bit about your experiences working with others, especially those with different beliefs about the reach of government to the day-to-day -day lives of American people? So um, if I could just go back to 2017, when I did become party chair, um, one of the things that I realized very quickly is that we do a good job of telling people who to vote for, but not how they impact their everyday lives. Um, and helping people understand the responsibilities of elected officials was something that um, I really grabbed a hold of and took my time to create a pamphlet in a nonpartisan fashion, just identifying all of the um, offices that were going to be on the midterm ballot and identifying three to five responsibilities. That is still on our website at kidem.com if you're ever interested. But I also include the president because what I recognize is that people are feeling marginalized and disenfranchised because they um, are not a part of the process. They don't understand that when we ask them to vote for secretary of state and to put a black woman in that position, how does that affect them? Well, it affects your accessibility to the ballot box. Um, why do I care about the state auditor where they're the ones who are making sure that these institutions are um, upholding their finances and, and allocating resources the way they should be? Why should I care about a congressperson? Well, ultimately they get to help um, decide how uh, COVID dollars are being allocated and that stimulus check that you, you know, that we all were so happy to get. So, you know, making sure that people understood um, what their political power was has always been a high priority for me long before um, coming into the congressional race. And so that to me is how we get to a place where people are more inclined to get engaged in the process because when you are educated, then you are in 
you you are more inclined to get in, engaged because you should you should be feeling empowered if you have the right information. And so that's something I've always been hyper focused on, and I think um, gets us to that place of better understanding and higher participation. Yeah, our research at Higher Heights and our conversations that we have with Black women across this country find that we want elected leaders who have a vision and strategy to build economically thriving, educated, healthy, and safe communities. Can you share what your top priorities, issue priorities are in your approach to tackling those, those issues? So my top priorities um, are really I would be I would be inclined to say align with with the research. Um, in order to build economically thriving, educated, healthy, and self commun safe communities, we have to prioritize education, healthcare, and expanding opportunities. And my vision establishes um, would establish a living wage, a fifteen dollar minimum wage, expanding universal pre K, which is something I have some experience in as a county council representative. We took our um, UPK program from 2,000 seats to 4,500 seats because we know how important that is and how it can change the trajectory of a child's life. Um, free four-year college for those who are um, making a household of $125,000 or less. Expanding um, quality public health care for every American and combating gun violence. Um, the, the gun violence that we've been seeing in our communities has become a very, very um, hot topic, and I'm excited that we have an administration right now who recognizes this as an issue, and they've actually started having conversations on how we can utilize the FBI and the DEA to handle those straw buyers who are putting the guns into the hands of people who are committing some of the most heinous crimes. They're also talking about investing into our local government so that we can hire more police. I think we also need to invest in training so that we can cultural competency training, because people that look like them but when it comes to us, there's this issue of fear. And so that's cultural. That is a racially implicit bias. So we need to incorporate that type of training so that we can remove these biases so that we can have safer communities. Um, so those are the things that I would like to see done. Those are some things that I've actually had some experience doing on the county level and hope to be able to do um, if I'm so fortunate to represent the people of the 11th Congressional District. <laughs> All right, so now during this time, if you were to be elected, you'll be taking office during what is now, you know, I feel like everybody uses this phrase, an unprecedented time or now more than ever, like everybody uses this phrase, right? But we're also watching the news and seeing Delta variant and other variants and people still hesitant about COVID vaccines. We also have to rebuild our economy at the same time. We're also a racially polarized nation right now. There's inequality across the board to address, some of which obviously is before COVID, right? But it, everything is sort of hyper-focused at that time. But we also have a new administration, right? So what are the opportunities that exist to push innovation in this administration, but what are the real challenges and threats to that as well from your perspective? So I'll start with um, the opportunities for innovation where we have um, an administration that's looking at things through a lens of equity, equality, and inclusion. Um, I'm excited about the fact that they've already set aside $12 billion specifically for minority businesses that could be leveraged to $100 billion when we start talking about credit and things like that. It's the infrastructure that that is the challenge the access to those resources that are available so making sure that people who are um, in business or 
on the verge of losing their business can get those resources that are already available. I, um, as, a, as a person who was in elected office and had the responsibility of overseeing over $200 million and how it would be allocated to hospitals, small businesses, food banks, rental assistance programs, those small businesses um, struggled because if you don't have a relationship with your bank, it was very, very challenging to get your hands on some of that, those PPP loans and, and kind of like grants. And so we need to be able to have the infrastructure. The infrastructure is the challenge right now we're seeing it um i just heard a story with uh, even with the passport so we've got a we've got opportunities out here right in our grass infrastructure when we're talking about trillions of dollars of infrastructure that's going to create jobs for people good paying jobs and so we need somebody in the 11th congressional district who has the relationships to make sure that we're bringing home the resources back to the people who need it the most and i come in this race with um, a tremendous amount of support not only at the national level, but on the local level. So um, so a lot of people are counting on me to bring home the bacon so that we can pour those resources back into our community, strengthen our biz businesses and recover from this pandemic. And that is ultimately the reason why I'm running. And then can you share a little bit, you know, we have an in, uh, increase in the number of black women running for office and frankly running winning and then, you know, continuing to lead as we've always done. But there are still challenges on that campaign trail and there's still barriers that our um, Black women face. But there's also opportunities and unexpected support that comes from unexpected places. Can you share a little bit about this journey and some of the challenges that you faced and what were some of the unexpected support and wins you've encountered during this time? So um, again, the, the the challenges when one of the biggest challenges I've had in this race uh, that I did not mention before is the fundraising. It's hard. It's hard to raise the money to be able to compete, especially when you have another candidate in the race that has had the benefit of being on the national stage for the last four and a half years. I'm coming from a disadvantage, but what I don't have to match um, that candidate dollar for dollar. I have the people with me here. So I've been doing the work for the last nine consecutive years, working to earn that support of over 100 local elected officials. And that's the win, that, that's the win. Those are the wins for me. When I, when I can get the support of a CBC, when I can get the support of a, a Congressman Clyburn and um, Congresswoman Joyce Beatty, who knows what it takes. Um, and, and not only that, I'm, I'm building on a foundation where Secretary Fudge identified me to be, to participate in the Congressional Black Institute in 2018. So, so clearly she saw something in me and um and and then that institute is a seven-day program where you learn about what it takes to be a congressional member and what it takes to run a campaign so i am grateful for those opportunities and have certainly used them to um get to a place that i again would like to call victory at the end of this race so those are the things that you know make this campaign very exciting um challenging but all very much worthwhile well, I know a little bit of something about that CBC camp. I think we were a part of the, that original cohort is like advanced to something else now. But yeah, I'm going to ask a different question because headed during this campaign cycle, I know for a fact that campaigns are brutal. Myself not being a candidate, but I do know even as a staffer, it's brutal. And sometimes as staff to staff, we have conversations on how you can infuse self-care and joy into the process as well. And anything, anytime you have something to deal with human beings, you got to input a little bit of joy in there somewhere. So what are your personal sustainability or as Glenda say, self-care practices and what brings you joy during this process? 
So what brings me joy is my family who I don't get to see nearly enough because they are also working. When I'm working, they're working and they're working on behalf of my campaign. So they're out canvassing, pounding the pavement and, and smiling and dialing for me. Um, and I'm, I'm very, very, very much a, a family girl. So um, Friday nights, I'm really, you can most Friday nights, I'm, I'm not out, you know, partying. I'm usually at my parents' house. And then Sunday after church, we all come over. And when I say we all, I mean, my brother, his kids, his his fiance, and, and my, my auntie and, and my cousins. And we just all enjoy Sundays together. But I haven't been able to do much of that. Now I'm on the campaign trail. I get to visit at least two to three churches every Sunday, which is very exciting for me because I'm a spiritual person. Um, I'm a youth ministry leader. So I pride myself on, you know, leading by example. So I get to enjoy a good word <laughs> very very frequently on Sundays during a campaign on the campaign trail but I also like to write um you some of you may know this about me I do fancy myself a little bit of an edutainer and I say that because I like to rap a little bit but I like to rap about things that you know kind of help people understand you know what's happening right now so I've rapped about the census I've rapped about making sure your voter registration is up to date so that brings me joy and um and seeing people enjoy that brings me joy but people are my energy so when I can be amongst my people um that brings me joy and I'm energized and I guess that's why I was built for this work well Chantel Brown thank you for participating in our She's Got Next Ohio edition. <laughs> and we wish you well on these final days. If you are tuned in and are a, a resident of the 11th Congressional District, it is time to do what Black women do and our allies. We need to organize our house, our block, our church, our sorority, and our union to, to vote in this special election because it is a special election on August 3rd. So we need to make sure all of your neighbors know there's a special election. If you live outside the state, you know somebody in the state. <laughs> and so we need to activate our networks so that we are looking to continue the legacy of Stephanie Tubbs-Jones and Marsha Fudge by sending the next congressional member from the Ohio 11th Congressional District, which we can ex continue to send stellar Black women leaders to Congress to serve on behalf of the, the constituents of the 11th Congressional District, but frankly, making sure that we continue to have our lived experiences as Black women, our voices to continue to be heard in the halls of Congress. So Chantel. we- Oh, thank you so very much, Chantel. <laughs> thank you so much for taking the opportunity to speak with us this evening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Higher Heights. This has truly been a lot of fun. And I, I hope I have an invitation to come back after all is said and done. Let the record reflect. I've been elected and reelected to every position that I've held. I've never lost a race, but I don't plan on starting now. So early voting started July <laughs> 7. You can vote now if you live in the 11th Congressional District. Don't wait till August 3rd. Cash your ballot for Chantel Brown tomorrow at your local board of elections. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. We don't all have to run for office, but we certainly all have a role, joy, right to play in this democracy. So yeah. You don't have to be the candidate. You can help support the candidates. You can do all of that at the Political Home for Black Women, which is Higher Heights for America. So you can visit higherheightsforamericapac.org. And you can also visit higherheightsforamerica.org to become a member. If you are not, if you're watching on Twitter or Facebook or anything like that, you want to be, you want to be part of the cool kids, part of the, you know, join Higher Heights. <laughs>
Well, thank you for spending the evening with us until we meet again. And we look forward to helping to move this country with you to higher heights. And we'll be back next Sunday with more of Sunday Civics. Till then. Yeah.